Hello and welcome to Movie of the Year, the only podcast with the science, but then also the screaming to determine the best movie for any given year. This season, we are tackling 1973, a year that we know nothing about. I know we make it seem like we're knowledgeable about 73 and all the ins and outs, but actually... We're kind of phoning it in. We're kind of guessing here a lot of the times. I'm your host, Greg. Joining me, two sailors off the streets, our winner from last week, and contestant, because yes, this is a game show. I will be awarding points silently so that no one knows who's winning except for me. And the two contestants tonight are Mike. How you doing, Mike? I'm ecstatic. I'm so great. I'm so happy. And Tell your you, tone of voice, man. Are, you know what? I've been told that before. I don't know how to express happiness. I just go, okay, push more air through your diaphragm. And I don't think it <laughs> sounds how I want it to sound. But I couldn't be happier to be here, Greg. <laughs> and fighting you, battling you, making you really the best you can probably be is Ryan. Ryan, hello. Ryan, I've been looking over the records here. Uh, when was the last time you won, bud? Oh, uh, the the last time we didn't have uh, somebody corrupt judging the points, I believe. <laughs> Hard to, you know what? This is silent scoring, but I am going to give Ryan, I'm going to give you a point there. Thank because you. one or two losses, surely that's on the contestant. But you're on a streak of like four, maybe five losses in a row to multiple different contestants. Clearly something is up with me. I don't even know what it is. I'm going to have to well, investigate. Mean, there's, a, there's a lot of things. There's, uh, you try to be nice to people who need it. Yes. And you know that I respond poorly to niceness. I definitely do not need it. Yeah, you are not comfortable uh, if somebody is nice or considerate towards you. And number two, you're jealous of everything about me. Yeah, basically. I, 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 I want your life, Ryan. <laughs> and since I can't have it, and I never will, I will just keep you from ever winning our game show here. If I could give Maybe. some advice to my piece of shit opponent, uh, Mike, <laughs> if you want to Who, tell your, your, t- your tone of voice... <laughs> Uh, to sound happy, they say the best advice is to um, smile when you talk to somebody and then also have, while you're talking to somebody and you're smiling, have your eyes move apart from each other like that Pennywise clown can do. Oh, yeah. Oh, Hiya, yeah. Greggy! Lo- I'm so happy to be here! I loved hearing that um, that's not like CGI. That's just something he can and does do. And if you watch, I think honestly sometimes he's struggling not to do it. <laughs> how, how often do you think in the middle of sex he does that to mess with whoever he's <laughs> that's like the anime face <laughs> he probably he probably uses sticks his tongue out drools a little bit lets that eye just wander the wandering eye ryan if if we have um undiagnosed beef do you think what we ought to do is just go hop on a bus get on a train maybe go hit the town Go on a boys' trip? Is that? Do you think that's the that's the cure for what ails us? Any, we should go on every mode of transportation that costs like less than three dollars for a ticket. Like yes, uh, yeah, any mode of transportation that is fit for our armed service <laughs> men. That's the only one. So Greyhound bus right next to the stinky toilet. Uh, um, maybe strapped to the tra- side of a train. One of those things on train tracks where when you push down, I push up, and then we just <laughs> seesaw back and forth. Train just behind you on the tracks, honking its horn. Come on, for get a while out of just. Marty McFly on skateboards, holding on to cars on the freeway. Skitchin? Skitchin. I knew there was a name for it. 
gentlemen, because of my superior hosting abilities, we've gotten nearly five minutes into the show, and I have not mentioned the name of the movie, and it's not like me to forget such an important detail, let alone the last detail. We always like to begin the show talking about what our personal histories are with these movies. Going back to a, a season like 1973, it's kind of a crapshoot whether or not we have any history with them. Mike, starting with you, um, the last detail, like, did you know anything about this movie? Did you even know it existed before this season? No, I didn't know it existed. I'm not sure I still do. The only thing no, is... No, Mike, it, it, it fully exists, Mike. Like, you can look it up I on Wikipedia. Mm, we watched it a number of times this we? week. I, no, I think we did, yeah. But Ryan, you know, I'm going to give you another point there. Thanks, buddy. I, I, I realized the... I never Swish. knew... I couldn't remember what the name of the, the movie was, but the poster of... Jack Nicholson give you, giving you bedroom eyes. Yes. And nothing else uh, in the sailor's cap and nothing else about the movie being told. It definitely is burned into my brain from somewhere as a child. Yeah, he's, he's, got, he's wearing the flat cap. Um, the, the movie taught me that that's what that is. And he's got that cigar that he like literally has in almost every shot. And then he's uh, not wearing his shirt. A little, mm-hmm. And he's got... A little something. For the sailor fans out there. Mustache, which I was going, maybe he should have this mustache in more movies. Maybe. Maybe he should always be a young man. <laughs> Ryan, as our resident movie guy, had you did you know much about the last detail? I did, yes. Um I had not seen it until just before the season, but had been high on my list just because you hear the premise of this movie. You gotta see it, right? It sounds spectacular. I knew about um, Whoa, the, three guys on a bus? Damn, sign <laughs> me up. The legendary uh, cursing was uh, had always called to me. And I just, something about two seasoned veterans followed around by a giant pasty moron <laughs> spoke to me. <laughs> spoke to just my life. Um, and so I thought that I would relate to it a lot. The uh, uh, the cursing is isn't it supposed to be like three hundred and fifty two fucks in the first seven minutes or something absurd? It's like, it's kind of nutty. They they could not make it for a while because the script is so full of curses. And then when they finally did release it, they're like, you know what? We got to lean into this. So they did a whole ad campaign where they like took a line of dialogue that has the f word in it like eight times, and then just did the comic book like use the different symbols from the keyboard. <laughs> uh, so at first it was like it kept it from being made. And then they're like, no, lean into it. Let people know. You know sometimes you want to go you go to a movie because you're like, I hear this one's really violent. Or uh, I hear this one's got boobies in it. And then for this one, it's like, I hear they say a lot of swears. <laughs> <laughs> they swear like literal sailors. I, the, I agree with you, Mike. This is um, from the VHS cover Hall of Fame. You're walking along and Jack Nicholson, and you have no idea why he's wearing the sailor hat, why he's holding the cigar, why he's not wearing a shirt, and why he's looking at you that way. It doesn't make you consider, at least as I, the kind of young boy I was, none of that made me consider watching it. Uh, it wasn't until I heard like sort of how small and intimate the movie was that I was like, yeah, this sounds really interesting. I mean, you have some guesses as to why he is wearing a sailor hat, right? Honestly, dude, I, I thought it might, I thought he might like be playing like a, a gay pinup model. Or something like he does. Like the way he's wearing the sailor hat and not wearing a shirt does not really communicate. Like I'm in the navy, boys. Let's let's get this. Let's get down with it, shall we? I'm Jack, and I'm in the navy. <laughs> Whoa! Christian Slater just walked into the room. <laughs> Christian, please don't say another word until we come back from this short break. The last detail is a movie about three sailors 
who are on their way to deliver one of the trio to jail. But thanks to some clever thinking ahead, they are able to secure a little time for a boy's trip. Now we know nothing is more sacred than a boy's trip. Thankfully, the last detail is a movie that understands the sanctity of dudes being dudes being dudes being dudes. We got ourselves a little drinking, a little underwear semaphore, fighting marines in a bus stop bathroom, and even a little trip to ye old cat house. Along the way, the boys tour more than just the eastern seaboard. They explore the depths of masculinity, individuality, and duty in a world that may be corrupt and ridiculous, but ultimately must be obeyed. The last detail aims to tell a story that is not grand or sweeping or epic, but instead is quiet, small, and yet somehow perhaps still epic. We can talk about what the last detail says about 1970s masculinity, but would it be more appropriate to talk about the timelessness of the movie's depictions of men and machismo? Does any of this feel dated or creaky? No, I guess there's a few kinds of guys who aren't in the movie, or if they are in the movie, they are like the. You're not talking about hippie. crypto guys, are you? Because this yeah, is going to no be a little early bros. for crypto. Guys. Where's the guy in New Balances in a hoodie, <laughs> but is somehow worth a billion dollars because he fooled a bunch of people? Wait, you mean like the in a futuristic keeper? Ponzi scheme? The Crypt Keeper. <laughs> we need a guy, guy who owns a lot of apes in this movie. But these apes? Oh, they're bored. They are bored no, as hell. Ryan, what I do you think? Are we getting a, a timeless depiction of masculinity or a 70s-bound depiction? I do I do agree with Mike. Not every single type of man that has ever existed is in this movie. So that is true, I, Mike. I did get distracted by what I was actually saying. No, Ryan, go. <laughs> uh, but no, I think, that, um, I think that there's a certain sensitivity here in the way that really everything is handled that uh, it doesn't pit... How Ashby in defensive men or as men are evil, but instead just slowly walks us through these characters where they become so three dimensional that that's where the timelessness comes from. Mm. So it's not like, uh, but there's a couple of exceptions, especially when the boys are around other people and they're like more of a facade comes on, like uh, this party that we can talk about in a second. But when it's just the three of them, um, I think that it's dealt so carefully and so uh, sensitively that uh, that's sort of what uh, this is the type of guy that I see now and that I'm sure existed in the 40s. You know, like I, I think that he does a really good job of crafting this timeless character. And what are what are the characteristics yeah. that you see? Like, what are the masculine characteristics that we see in this movie? I think in, in Nicholson, it's when, when we're talking about their intimate settings, he wants to be a big brother type but he can't stop himself from being a fucking prick. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mule wants to not give a shit about any of this and wants to hate everything and throw his bows and say, this is the worst detail, but can't stop himself from having fun. And uh-huh. then uh, Meadows is a lost little lamb boy and is just like, feed me, daddies. I will do whatever you teach me to do right now. Meadows is the young one that they're taking to the jail. Yes, yeah. So the the dynamic between the two men is there's... Mule and what's Nicholson's character's name? Badusky. Badass. Badusky. Uh, and Meadows. And Meadows is like the young, innocent one, but also the one that is being taken to jail for eight years for stealing $40 that he did not even get from like the po- the polio, polio kids. <laughs> Which, um, you know, don't do that for sure. Uh, don't steal from polio kids. Uh, everyone should be able to play sports on horses. Like... Even children. <laughs> but I just, you see these guys go through so many transitions in the course of one conversation. So, mm-hmm. you know, I do, 
Jack thinks that he he wants to be the cool guy and the provider, the party provider. He wants to show up at the party with the keg on his shoulder and save the day, you know. But also, he it's important that you know that he doesn't care, right? Whenever you think that he might care too much, you know. And Mule is the guy who, and I mean, like his his last name is Mulford, but everybody calls Mohal. him Mohal. But everybody calls him Mule, which is a shortening of his name. But also, this guy is the workhorse. He's the, mm. you know, I signed up for the Navy to get out of where I come from. But also, when the man tells you to go, you have to go. I, li- I don't make these decisions. And his Also, he seems to be the one that, like, kind of likes the Navy. Like, yeah. the Navy gave me somewhere to go and Structure. something to do and help me build up a life. And so, even though they're all, I mean, because they're all rebelling against the the navy right like they're all they're but the thing that they're on is on liberty they're temporarily free and they keep like sort of toying with the idea like we might we might just keep going we might just do whatever we want we might let this kid go we might party the whole time we're there but ultimately they do what they are told to do right yeah. like they 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 follow up and part of it is that mule yeah he likes to like say oh you know forget these guys but at the same time, he's like, well, I don't know. I kind of like the Navy. It, I, I think that like it's done good things for me, and I think that I'm going to be better off here than I would be without this presence in my life. I think he says another F word than forget, Greg. <laughs> well, yeah, but this is for so that we can show the podcast on TNT. Oh, right, right, right. Forget right. about it, you mother forgetters. Fudge about it. Is there something – do we think there is something um, – the movie seems to like lean on – violence and masculinity um and not maybe in the most conventional way but it seems like as part of a bonding experience there has to be one or two dust ups and there are a couple of different violent outbursts in this movie but they're so they're not quite the mean streets fight if you listen to the mean streets show there is a peck and paw melee in the middle of that movie that is just a bunch of like big bellies banging against each other and people standing on top of pool tables and throw in like kicks 360 degrees in this there's a couple of those what what's being said about masculinity and, and violence here I, I think one of the is the tribalism it the within the military and i, th- I think it's very connected to the masculinity and violence is one this movie gets it right fuck marines they are the worst if you see one throw their head in the urinal but <laughs> no matter it doesn't matter that the sailors were having problems with each other the minute yeah. that Badusky, for no reason, started a fight with a group, bathroom full of Marines. The other two are like, I guess we're also fighting them now. Well, I mean, he waits until they walk in and they're like, yes. hey, guys, what's up? And then he attacks the other guys. <laughs> yeah. He times he it smirks. very perfectly. <laughs> and it's then a, it's a full on like, oh, Marines in the bathroom. It would be a real shame if somebody punched him in the face. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I think it's like like Ryan was saying earlier that he, he brings the party, but he also brings the camaraderie. And he's like, oh, we're splitting the seams little. We're, we're being individuals. I bet I know it'll bring us together. Me starting to fight with these Marines. Right. Is there something, every- Mike, you were in the Army, and the Army hates the Marines, right? Everybody hates the Marines. But is there something specific with the Navy? Because do they have to interact a lot? It feels like they're constantly having to interact, because one is the Army yeah, of the Sea, and the other it, one is the... The Sea of the Sea. The Sea uh, of the Sea, yeah. That's what they call the Navy. The, the Marines spun out of the Navy, so yeah, I think they share bases a lot more often. They do... And it's the Marines have the biggest chip on the shoulder and think they're these badasses and they're just dick bags until they turn like thirty and then they're chill. But Navy <laughs> grunts are the worst fucking human beings you'll ever meet. 
And that's specifically what he is always, he's always talking about grunts. Yes. Right? Badusky, yeah. So the Marines are to the Navy as Maud is to all in the family? Yes. And to Harold. And to Harold. Nice Hal Ashby reference. Boom, I think, boom, boom. I think what's important here with the violence and the masculinity in general is that we're on, these guys like all of us are on these ropes, you know, where almost like bungee cords were tied to the front uh, to the grass in front of our dog houses and we think that we can run away and bark and rebel and scream and yell but we're still when the man says go but we're still safe and we're always get yanked back we think that we're tough but we always get yanked back so uh we're gonna we're gonna let this guy go we totally could it's all just fucking talking we know it in the moment or we need to we need to be violent because that's what men do that's what men do together that's what men do against each other but when it comes time to fight we're gonna it's just gonna like be a classic roust about with some marines in the bath it's not gonna be a fight that changes anything it's It's never a fight that changes anything there's two moments of violence or near violence that that felt different and it's bedusky and i think it's yeah, when his ego is fucked with, then real violence. It's not a uh, game of grab ass form. Is uh, is when this he, the end? Is this what you're talking about? The Mike? beginning in the bar first, because he's like, "We are sailors. We are. We deserve free beer. We deserve drinks, even <laughs> if this guy is under twenty. I can't believe you. I will shoot you in the face." Uh, and then at also, the end, you are being racist, and right. that is also annoying me. And then at the end, it is. I, I think because Ryan. Ryan's saying we we have these boundaries. We're gonna pretend like they don't exist, but they do. And Meadows was actually going to break one after they were nice. He was like, "No, we were giving you a nice send off, but you were going to jail because this is what we have to do." And Meadows was betraying their trust and betraying the actual framework of society they've all decided to live in. And that I think really got under badass's skin. I mean, yeah, the the, the betrayal. Like as the movie progresses, as the first half progresses, um badass jack nicholson is like trying to almost groom meadows into being his friend like mm-hmm. i want you to think of me as this like i'm i'm not like other dads i'm a cool dad basically mm-hmm. like the whole first half and then at the by the midway point they are equals you know with the, like with the rare exception where they all remember what they're actually together for they're all equals and they're partying it up across the country and it's kind of like an Obi-Wan and Anakin Skywalker thing where we see them go from master and apprentice to really just brothers in arms. Continue. <laughs> uh, and then, um, but badass depends on that sort of equal, but not that loyalty. You know, I need this to survive. And then when it gets broken, that is a heartbreaking scene. Of we need to do our duty, which we don't care about. And we need to uh, keep the boundaries up, which we hate that we have to. And we have to beat yeah. the ass of our friend in order to keep those walls up. But see, I, I, I agree with that to a point where I start to disagree specifically with the end is I think there is a personal animus that enters into the violence at the end there. It's not just that like we're doing our job and it, the job requires violence. It's you made me remember that I am on a leash mm-hmm. because by doing yeah, this, sure. you make me confront the fact that I choose to obey my master and not to obey my like heart or soul. And because of that, I'm going to beat the hell out of you, even though that's actually not necessary. And, that, and that's what they get in trouble for at the end. Is right. They return the prisoner all messed up and they're like, what'd you do here? And it wasn't really necessary. Once they caught him, like no one's going anywhere in those shoes on that mm-hmm. snow like they were they could just drag him back but 
the, even the fact that he pulled the gun, I think, was like, well, yeah, I am Mulhall, so offended. When they're all tussling, Mulhall is not after Meadows. He is stopping Badassi. Yeah. Uh, and that's what's, what's so interesting for, for about the end is how they flipped. But that's why throughout the first half, Mulhall is like, let's not be friends with this guy. I don't think yeah. he's gone through this scenario, but I think he sees all of it. This will all hurt more if we know him as a person and we remember that we are people. And so what if we pretend to not be people and keep our roles up? Uh, and then he gets suckered in to being a human being with everybody. And I mean, that's kind of the, he doesn't know who Jack Nicholson is, right? Yeah. Once he learns who Jack Nicholson is, he's like, there's no fight. I can't put up a fight against Jack. He keeps Even trying. Though, or as he's learning who trying. he is. Right. Because uh, part of learning who he is is learning that he will move the goalposts on you. Right. Like, <laughs> we're just going to have a little fun. Okay, now we're going to be this guy's best friend. Okay, now we have to do another thing with him. Okay, now we're going to miss the train. Like, once you start going along with him, it's not going to be the terms that he initially set forth for you. When we come back, we are going to take a look at the staggering car- career of one Jack Nicholson. Staggering career. Careers. We all have them, but we don't always get to look at them retrospectively. But lucky for us, Jack Nicholson's career is pretty much over. He's still alive, but I don't think he's going to be in any movies. He is retired. Do you remember so we get a chance? A couple years ago, he signed up for that Tony Erdman remake. Oh, yeah, with Kristen Wiig, right? With Kristen Wiig. The duo. And that news came out like four years ago, and even then we were like, no. Is he, though? That's not going to happen. Because, like, the last thing I heard about him was like, he went to a Lakers game. Good for him. <laughs> and when you're in that phase of your life, I, I don't think you're going to be on set very long. So before we get into the simply staggering number of movies that Jack Nicholson has been in, what does what does this guy mean to movies? What does he mean to you? Let's start with personal reflections. Ryan, Jack Nicholson, what does he mean to you? Uh, I mean, I think that it took me a long time to not think of him as typecast. And I still I still do think of him as a certain type, right? Typecast. And a lot of times he's cast. Typecast is such like a harsh word, so derogatory. Um, he clearly has a range, but also... You know, the hair's getting slicked back and the eyebrows is going up and the glasses mm-hmm. are going to get put on. And it's not that. It's also, who were we talking about? Jack Nicholson. Harvey Keitel, <laughs> I think, in the Mean Streets show, where in my head, for some reason, I thought that he's full of screaming performances. But it's not. It's really just like maybe a scene per movie. And that gives oh, yeah. So no, much it's because you're scared of him all the time. And the scarier... He, or the quieter he gets, the scarier Kaitel gets. Right. And so, like, that's, I think, the thing with Jack, too, is that in my head he's screaming all the time, but really it's just that one punch or two per movie. And it's it's what stand-ups, what sketches, what Animaniacs mock is the – becomes you think that's the whole person. Uh-huh. Uh, and then – so when he doesn't do all that, you're like, oh, wow, look at him go. But, no, he, he's always going. That yeah, is- and I think that – like you said, Ryan, that there's a tendency to think of him as typecast. I don't think it helps that he's played an inordinate amount of characters named Jack. <laughs> it's almost as if they're like, well, we don't want him to be confused, so we'll just give the character his same name. He comes um, in the shining, on the Shining set, and they're like, all right, you're going to be playing Harry. And he's like, you mean Jack, right? Here's the deal. <laughs> That's not actually my name. <laughs> 
So it's going to be awkward, don't you think, my having to respond to it all day? <laughs> uh, I think the thing that's weird for us, too, our generation, is that for a lot of people our age, our first introduction to him was kind of him satirizing, the Adam Sandler movie. <laughs> satirizing himself in mm-hmm. a movie that maybe, it like as the Joker, maybe he could have used more... 1970s like freakouts like he had through that whole decade and just didn't you know like that movie is him very late with a cup with like with a couple of times where he's like he's Mm -hmm. mostly like the coolest (laughs) guy in every room and i think that kind of launched what i thought of jack from then on out for a while well especially because and then his career it is with the adam sandler movie anger management or then as good as it gets like he definitely in the 90s and the early 2000s, he was like, it's all about coasting. Whatever can pay for my <laughs> Lakers tickets. And then, so uh, in 1989, he was in Batman and he played the Jacker. Is that true? Yeah. <laughs> you know, beware the Jacker. <laughs> well, it's not perfect, but it's pretty close. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I, I, a little bit of it reminds me of Al Pacino syndrome. Like, for us to follow their careers when we were first getting into movies – and we didn't know anything about them, and they were already kind of phoning in some of their performances. Mm-hmm. And then to go back to the 70s where they were cutting their teeth and just really hungry yeah. and giving their all and seeing the actual talent. We're going to have a chance to talk about specifically Nicholson and what he does in the last detail. But I think it kind of puts the lie to the idea that he's always just perpetually doing the same thing in and out of every movie. And for me personally... Yeah, I mean it start it does start with the Joker and um but the Witches of Eastwick was like big around my house with, when I was a kid. Um in the 90s, A Few Good Men was like I didn't realize it when I was a kid watching that movie how much it would sort of become part of like my perspective <laughs> on the world but the whole interplay of you know, you tell us to hold the line and then you come and you criticize the way we do it and you can't, you know, what do you want? Do you want us to hold the line or do you want to get to choose the way we do it and his part in that of seeing him go from kind of banking on the jack nicholson cool i can get away with anything and then slowly get entrapped uh it's this is one of the actors that i feel like we i have seen more of his work than some of the other ones that we've we've done these retrospectives for but if like when we go through this and i swear to god greg you are going to start at some point when we go through this look at everything that comes out before we're born and tell and like their counterculture fuck the Fuck the man, you know, uh, hippie people, and tell them all about Colonel Jessup in A Few Good Men and they would barf. You know, like, well, yeah. Isn't it interesting the sort of like the dichotomy of early in his career playing the just like the low, like lowest ranking, the semaphore guy, and then the end of his career playing like the, you know, head of a, of a, a naval base or whatever, the colonel in that movie. And it's like, He's kind of, you know, talking to himself in some of those scenes. I was going to ask, by the way, what's a semaphore? It's like flags. So when the ships have to communicate to each other, they they, they do the flag. May I? It's for pooping, silly. There you go. Thanks, Mike. But that... Uh, anyway. Uh, what do we think he means to movies outside of us? Maybe we've, maybe we've covered this a little bit, but certainly like that, a countercultural figure... Very much alive and working in this sort of um, huge transitionary period that was the 70s, the late 60s and early 70s, and helping to push and move these movies in a way that, like, I didn't realize until we started really getting into them that the actors were more than just 
showing oh, up on yeah. set. They were the creative forces in so many of these movies. And, and producers, and so often, so many of these movies just weren't going to be made, and they're like, but we got Jack. And they're like, okay, you got me, you <laughs> son of a bitch. <laughs> Two bags full of money with dollar signs on it. Um, I mean, I think great actor. Uh, I don't th- Like we were talking about before, I don't think anybody would say that he's got the range of like the all-time, all-time greats. But um, I think that in this year that we're discussing... 1973 on movie of the year where all great <laughs> podcasts are sold. Um, he is taking the belt, the cool belt from probably Steve McQueen and Paul Newman. Steve McQueen. And is not giving it up for what? 15 years. Yeah. Legitimately. Like he just has the belt until I don't even know who comes up and takes it next. Bruce Willis, maybe in Die Hard, But like the, he, he just owns the town. And it kind of like um, also has a, a part of his his mystique where he's like known for his celebrity, like mm-hmm. being at the mm-hmm. aforementioned Lakers games and always being on the arm of a, a different woman, uh, eating at a little cafe called Poopies. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen that. You're saying from... he eat, but eats butt? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> no, there's a there's a viral clip of him talking about like right around this time in Hollywood. And, like, the different people he would just hang out with and everything. And he's like, and we uh, all used to hang out at a little cafe named Poopies, <laughs> which could not be the name of this place. There's just no way. No, he's, he's, Mike's right. He's clearly talking about how he's eating butt. <laughs> it was old school Hollywood. That's what we did. Well, let's get into the bracket. Let's see what we can see here. First off, we chose 16 movies. Uh, he, has, he has many, many movies. But these are the 16 top iconic roles. They're going to be fighting off against each other we will determine what is the most iconic role number one seed with an axe i guess jack torrance from the shining versus number 16 seed edward cole from the bucket list gentlemen anything that you would like to say about edward cole and the bucket list what edward cole did for the genre of old guys. <laughs> yeah, a bucket listing. <laughs> the bucket list is the movie where they uh the old guys are going to go like paraglide because YOLO. They're dying. Bucket yeah. list on is from the sliding doors genre of movies nobody re- remembers but created a phrase we still use in everyday life. A yeah, hall yeah. pass, if you will. A what? A hall pass. <laughs> a hall pass. Um <laughs> Let me just ask, though, before uh, Bucket List gets absolutely slaughtered, would you guys have predicted this to be the number one seed? Yes. Yeah? Yeah, I think so. I'm just so low on the... I think... I I don't. I love the movie. I just feel like I'm so much lower than everybody else is that mm-hmm. I was surprised it wasn't something else that Greg is about to say. But I'm going to vote for... Sh- if you're going to call this, Greg, call to a vote. I'm going to call to a vote. It's I The think. Shining for me. Mike? Everybody knows I'm a bit of an iconoclast, kind of a. I'm more of a 1970s Jack. Yeah, it's kind of a bucket list era Jack. So that's so true. I, I might have to buck the trend. No, it's obviously The Shining. I wrote my bucket list. <laughs> and uh, Jack Torrance. Jack mentions Torrance in the last detail. Coincidence? <gasps> I don't see how yes. that's possible. It's all connected. Uh, all right. Up next is eight seed Robert Dupia. In Five Easy Pieces, which is a movie I feel like I should have seen, but I have not. But don't tell anybody. Uh, versus number nine seed, Garrett Breedlove. Garrett Breedlove is from Terms of Endearment. 
Now, neither of their names are Jack. Are we sure we're talking about the right characters? I think we are. Yeah, looking down this list, actually, there's only there's only one there's only one other. And he's Jake, actually. He's <gasps> not even Jack. So he's one I of was the two. Way off. Forget it, Jake. Your name's Jack. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so one of these is a supporting character, and the other one I can't remember what it was. Greg, uh, what was uh, the first one you said? I said Robert Dupia from Five Easy Pieces. Okay, so this is like the start. Not. This is towards the beginning of I'm Jack Nicholson. I'm counterculture. I just get shit done. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the most famous part about this. If you guys have not seen the movie or the first four easy pieces that precede it. Uh, the most famous part is that he orders a chicken salad sandwich and tells the waitress to hold the chicken salad between her knees. Oh, yeah. Just a slice of life. America sucks. Like It's not, it's not that dissimilar from his interactions in in several restaurants in this movie. No. Guy yeah, or guy, it's like a, a little cafe thing, by the way. Called Poopies. Called Poopies. Poopies. So, uh Ryan, who are you voting? Who should it be? I think it's definitely five easy pieces. Yeah, right, it's got to be five easy pieces guy. Up next, number 4, the clown prince of crime himself. <gasps> the Joker. From a little movie called Batman versus Daryl Van Horn from the Witches of Eastwick, and this is a t- this is a tough matchup, man. I I feel uh, bad for Daryl Van Horn. Okay, I was gonna say if you didn't grow up in Greg's house, it is not a tough matchup <laughs> to most of the world. No, I mean the like the first poster I had on my wall for a movie was Batman. Um, it, Believe me, there's nothing. I really thought you were gonna say witches of Eastwick. Witches of Eastwick, man. My uh, seventh birthday party, witches of Eastwick themed. It ruled. We all had a big bowl of cherries and then <laughs> ate as many as we could until we just puked everywhere. Uh, Greg, no Gotta spoilers, but is this the devil? This is the devil. Yeah, they the the somebody moves to town, uh, a very alluring man, and he begins dating these three different women. And uh, he might just be—he might just be the devil, Ryan. A bunch of a bunch of tomfoolery is afoot, and it's kind of like lampooning upper upper crust um, rich folks and their concerns in like the the '80s. And he's just extremely charming and extremely bad in it, in a way that really feels written specifically for him. For Jack, uh, please tell me there's a part where he walks. Like maybe the first scene that he appears. And you hear, please allow me to introduce myself. (laughs) (laughs) Would feel like a a missed opportunity if he didn't. But I'm going to call it to a vote. Mike, what do you say? It's the Jacker for me. (laughs) Ryan? Yeah. Joker for sure. Joker for sure. Up next, number five. But I feel like kind of number one in my heart. Colonel Jessup. Not because I like the character. Hang on. Back up. Uh, but because the the movie made a big impression on me. Colonel Jessup from A Few Good Men with Tom Cruise uh, versus Warren Schmidt from About Schmidt. So that's a title character. That is. That's that titular. <laughs> that's Whereas titular. Colonel Jessup is only one good man. Yeah, he's one of the few and good men. And not a good and man. He, he is the one who's telling everybody that they cannot handle the truth, right? That is correct. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, he... I really feel like... This character became sort of how a lot of political figures speak now. 
that you just have to like, yeah, you got to like do <laughs> dirty, terrible shit all the time in the commission of trying to fight for peace. And like, I am tired of acting like we don't have to be brutal to maintain a peaceful existence. And so now I'm just going to give it up. But now the ending from like 25, 30 years ago of him getting in trouble for that seems kind of quaint because yes. it seems like now he would be like the boys style cheered out of the courtroom <laughs> for what he did. That's the thing that Sorkin fucked up here is you were supposed to only share that with your homies in the army cafeteria, not yes. out loud in public. And now, yeah, he gets it with like it. the. This is like a little bit of like TV courtroom action. Oh, for sure. Yeah, where you get the you get the defendant all flustered, and then they just admit to the crime because they're so angry in the moment. I bet this hard tacked guy who's led a bunch of wars would be able to just be flustered in a courtroom. <laughs> I know, <laughs> but it's Tom Cruise though. Is that's the lawyer true. that's you're just oh, staring at the one monotooth and then you get distracted. <laughs> I have to say, from a beautiful era of Tom Cruise, uh, he just he had it all going on in the now, white suit. You good men, mm. delicious. At one uh, point now, uh, in the when he's cross examining, uh, Tom Cruise's eyes just go white and he opens his mouth and just the monotooth comes out and just makes <laughs> yeah. noise like the hypnotist. And he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's, that's his ultra. That's his lawyer move. When <laughs> the chips are down, it's, so it's his one desperation move. Are, are you guys worried that we're talking about Colonel Jessup so much and the monotooth because he stepped in a big old pile of Schmidt? No, and there will be no... I'm not personally <laughs> worried about that, no. Is, that, is Helen Hunt in that? Is this his first movie where he's like, I'm an old guy now? Nope. Helen Hunt is as good as it gets. About Schmidt, I think everybody thought, oh, okay, as good as it gets, too. It's a very different movie, very different tones. Um, I think stands up better. As good as you get, just got cringier and cringier as time went on. Um, I like About Schmidt a lot, but uh, it mostly became known as the Kathy Bates got naked in a jacuzzi movie. and Yeah, it really, like, that. it's like the number one thing people will tell you about that. And I, I have to admit, like, when I hear the name of this movie... For whatever reason, I think of the way the cover looks, which is him just looking very befuddled and yeah. old. He looks and like then a I think, Nick Nolte mugshot. <laughs> and then I think Kathy Bates got naked in this movie. Like, wh why did that make such an indelible impression? Also, he was the number one pop culture Schmidt until another Schmidt came into town. Oh, hell yeah. Who? Chutney. Who are you talking about, Ryan? Really all types of chutney. I think we're ready yeah. to call this. I mean, it seems pretty clear to me. Does it seem clear to you guys? Yes. Does it seems clear to you it guys. It seems crystal. Thank you. So it's Colonel Jessup then? Yes. Moving on. That is the end of the first part of the Jack Nicholson career retrospective. When we come back, returning to talking about the last detail. But I never saw the first through middle details. Gentlemen, is the Navy in this movie more significant than just a framework for the plot? Or does the movie have some deeper thoughts about politics and the military? I, hmm. I, I mean, I think that <laughs> this is a, it's a, it, it's a lot different than if they were mailmen, for sure. Like, if the, you could do the plot where he was getting taken to mailman jail. Mail prison. Mail jail. <laughs> mail jail. Mail jail. Let's do some mail bonding. Um, yeah, I, th <laughs> I think that we do, uh, we're seeing some stuff that we wouldn't, we wouldn't see otherwise because it's the army now I do, or the Navy, the military. I do think that it is vitally important that 
the word Vietnam is never brought up, that war is never brought up, that with the exception of a gun that we didn't even know Jack had, for that his buddies didn't even know that he had, weapons are not even brought up. The violence is all very like, why I oughta and not... Vietnam is brought up one time, but I do take your point. It's not like continually talked about. There are, I, I feel like, inferences to it, like when they talk about going to the, uh, the sex workers that are like friendly towards the navy i felt like there was the implication of like vietnam not being popular and then when when they go to like that house party with the chanter people uh one of the women asks mule um about vietnam and so like that's the it it is literally the word is said but like that's that's when he's like man says go you gotta go yeah yeah and i which i think is like yeah so important to understanding the movie but it's not that everywhere they go they see signs of it um it's not that people are constantly harassing them about it it i feel like if you made a movie about 1973 now and three guys were in the navy going up the eastern seaboard now we would be like everyone that saw them would be like giving them a hard time or you know it it's definitely different than say forrest gump where everybody is in like that year's costume Right. If it was like yeah. a costume party, you know, where like it's so extremely of its time just to like get some point home. And I know it's different because this is contemporarily, you know, this movie is made in 1973 and takes place in 1973. It's got a different job than Forrest Gump, but it's still, I, I think it speaks to. Again, I mean, Forrest Gump had so many jobs, though. It's true. Uh, I, I think it speaks once again to Ashby's. Uh, lack of need to shove your face into any particular aspect of the how aspect of the movie, and it, it's also, I think, more true to life than Forrest Gump was. I bet most people didn't spit at sailors and soldiers all the time; they were just there. And yeah, there's uh, a lot of a lot of recent um, reporting on the on the, how much of that might have been a mythologized idea of like soldiers coming back and being literally spit upon there's a lot of people who say they know someone it happened to but like oh, well, i don't that's think true. That, i don't think there's anyone who actually says that they were spit right. on or that like people actually came to the airport to give them a hard time and i just feel like it's kind of an interesting chronicle in the way we re-remember the past mm-hmm. instead of just remembering it we like create a version of it to remember and this movie kind of argues that you could go through the world mostly not thinking. You could go through America mostly not thinking about Vietnam, D- even as military personnel. Which is, feels like a bigger travesty. And, and I wonder if the, the, the bigger issue, if, if it, like a metaphor got turned into, no, this actually happened to my cousin's friend once, uh, is World War II, everybody came home heroes. Vietnam, everybody's like, oh, that guy's back. And they're like, it's like they're spitting on us. And then it just grew and grew and grew. Because they no longer lionized. What did the sailors kind of appreciate the spit like feels like we're on the boat i don't think it's just they love any form of liquid ryan the salty air like the salty spit on their (laughs) face no how how great was it watching him in that scene where he's like trying to pick up on that on that woman and he's just rhapsodizing like but like it's nothing based on his actual experience in the navy it's just him like uh reading like a um a jack london novel or something Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) all you have out there is the sea the sea uh, looks into you, and you look into it. it the, the movie starts off with, I have no idea what anybody in the military does. 
Uh, I have multiple people in my family who are in or have been in the military. Mike has been. Care not to ask them. Like, I don't want to find out. But I don't know what they do. The we don't want to know, right? We just don't want to know. A few good men, Ryan. <laughs> I swear you it all comes back. can't handle what we all yeah. do. This movie starts out with... Cut uh, to Mike watching Netflix in a basement in an <laughs> army base. <laughs> Looking around to see if I can jerk off yet. <laughs> watching a Netflix documentary called What Do People in the Military Do? Uh <laughs> Oh, crap. I got to take notes on this. <laughs> this. This movie starts out with Jack in what looks like the Cuckoo's Nest Asylum. <laughs> yes. Shit face sleeping in a recliner. Way to go, soldier. Way to serve your country. That, um, that intro and Jarhead, I feel like, capture the military more than anything else. It's fucking boring all the time, and then sometimes an old guy's a dick to you. I have to say, the intro is perfect for this movie. It is... Hey, you're going to go do this detail. No, I'm not. Hey, you're going to also go do this detail. No, I'm not. You can tell him myself that I'm not going there. And then cut to the two of them standing in the office doing the detail. That's what the entire movie is. No, I'm not going to do what you tell me to. And then ultimately, no, yes, of course I am. Okay, so the the military is like my mom asking me and my little brother to do chores when we were preteens then. Yes. That's exactly what it is. I once had, as an adult, had another adult tell me I couldn't close my door all the way if a woman was in my room. So it's exactly like... (laughs) Or it's coming off the hinges. I think another important part of this, too, is that they're not being... That they're not taking Meadows down the western seaboard. um, Mm. A superior seaboard. Like, one of the best seaboards. No snow. Uh, And that's exactly right. Like, this... He how Ashby shows the outside of the train, outside of the windows, a lot. And this world... Looks fucking like Galactus is halfway done sucking. <laughs> like I think that we're being told, but not being told. We're being shown, but not told that we're just sort of fucking sad and like we're just out of juice as a, yeah, it's as the a wasteland, country. right? Right, and it's like just this on we has affected the weather and the trees at this point, and I think that's what we can sort of feel going on because of the stupid war that we're in. Yeah, it kind of like saps the color out of everything. Exactly, the movie's yeah. gray. The higher north they get, which should be like more and more freeing in a way. They're so excited to get to the north, but it just gets colder and colder and colder until finally in the last scene, they're standing in a park and it's like the coldest any three people have ever looked. <laughs> Trying to that, cook hot dogs. Cook, yeah, that, that, that picnic that they have outside cooking hot dogs in the snow like Jack Nicholson is sitting on a bench trying to drink a beer, but it's so cold. Like oh, I, you can feel it. You can feel it with him. <laughs> he is having a colder one than anybody ever has. For a guy who is like known to be the coldest man of all time, to have played the coldest man of all time, Jack Torrance, <laughs> the frostiest boy there ever was, he looks twice as cold drinking that beer in this. Something so much about this movie is subtle. Like I I the second time I watched it. The first time I watched it, I loved it. The second time I watched it, I was kind of blown away by it because I feel like there's so much that Hal Ashby is like, you'll get it. I, if you if you sit with the movie, you'll get it. I, I promise you. Like what you just said, Ryan, about the exteriors looking so like blighted and everything. Another thing that's really subtle in this is the like the aspect of race. Um, mm-hmm. Mule is a is a black guy, and it almost never comes up, but then it will suddenly every once in a while. But there are a lot of scenes where it feels like it is standing with our characters. The idea of his race. The idea of why he loves the Navy and is is the most afraid of the three of them. Of not being like there on time. 
he's the most af- he's the most afraid of the two of them f- about the idea that Meadows might get away, mm-hmm. and it's never said, but I feel like the strong implication is like we're not gonna be punished equally. Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, he's, he's always the one to say, "Hey, Jack, let's get the fuck out of here." And it's yes, it's not just because of his military career. Um, and he. There's this really interesting conversation that he has at the party yes. where um, he sort of defines all of this, where he says he talks about why he actually does like the military as much as he complains. And it's because that he does have this structure that a lot of people that he grew up with don't have, that he, he was given a path, basically, and that was offered to him by the military, which is kind of a sad story from like a, a lot of poor kids, you know? Yeah, like, hey, totally. Sign this paper and you'll get out of this and you'll. Have you can't drink awesome a beer life. yet. But you can be in the Navy and then be sentenced to eight years for a crime, but you can't have a beer yet. And you're also offered this rare equality as a black guy. Mm-hmm. But on the flip side, why aren't you? You seem like you make a perfect uh, officer. Well, those are white guys because in order to become an officer, you need a paper signed by a white guy. Right. And no white guy is going to sign an officer by a, for a black guy. You need a black officer, and there aren't black officers because of, that's how this shit works. You know? So, the, again, it's another one of those things where uh, it all has boundaries. Y- you're only as free as the boundary will let you be. And then, yeah, you have to find a freedom. You have to find some separate freedom within what the bounds are so that you're not just constantly cognizant of the fact that you're stuck and that you everything in you says not to do what you're told, but that you just have to in the end because it's otherwise you're you're quite literally out in the cold, standing in the freezing snow, drinking and, a beer because that's the only freedom left. And that that's why Badusky's outbursts I think are more violent. More is because I Moho already always had boundaries because he's a black man in America, grew up in the fifties and sixties, seventies now. Uh he I think he's very aware of the boundaries. So his is that simmering anger, and and Badusky is a white dyed who, who white guy who looks like he looks, and so he's like, I should be able to do anything, and if somebody <laughs> suddenly tells me I'm not, I'm gonna freak out about it. Right, but again, always picks his specific battles yes. within his boundaries. Like if he if he's gonna pull out a gun, he's gonna already know that the guy only has a bat. Right. Yeah. I love that. Like, <laughs> I was here eight years ago, and I know that what is there is a bat and not a gun. Wow, you are really. You're making quite a wager there. But because he's Jack Nicholson in the movie The Last Detail, he can't say bat. He says horse cock. You get horse your hands cock. on that horse cock. I wasn't sure what that meant. I thought it meant shotgun. And I was like, and you think you're winning in this. Okay. I, <laughs> I'll simply duck, avoiding all the pellets. <laughs> well, he's semaphore, so he'll just block them all. B-Y, B-Y. Bye-bye, fools. And bye-bye to that segment. When we return, the second part of the career retrospective. Time to return to the career retrospective of one Jack Nicholson. If you're anything like me growing up, you often confused the names Jack Nicholson and Jack Nicholas, world-famous, extremely accomplished golfer and completely different person. But now I know it's Jack Nicholson because I'm looking at it on my screen over here, and anytime I need to say it, I can just glance over at it, and there it is. Jack but Nicholson, fuck career. Fuck you to both of them for not having, for having such similar names. Honestly, yeah, and being at, like, the peak of their game kind of at the same time and just being like, deal with it, America. And they're both famous stickmen. They are both famous stickmen. Up next is number two seed, 
and I think number number two in our hearts, Randall McMurphy from One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest versus number 15, Dr. Rydell from Anger Management. And I can see him doing the Anger Management nod right now. I could just see it. It's been heavily memed. Probably, like, honestly, there's no other thing about that movie I think I can remember. Uh, besides, I don't know what your guys' criteria is for voting in this bracket, but more memed than Randall McMurphy from One Flew Over the Whatever the Fuck yeah. that movie is. It is the Dunkachino of Nicholson's career, is that meme. <laughs> yeah, it just, it just sticks with him. Randall McMurphy, I feel like, is kind of... Um, a kind of like a a more intense version of what we get in the last detail from mm-hmm. him like more f authority more authority and so more of a nece- like need to stick his thumb in its eye honestly the first time i watched the last detail i was like oh and we had just done one flu so or cuckoo's nest what's like the cooler shorter version of that title i think um, i'd say cuckoo's nest we had just done cuckoo's we had just done uh O F O C. We just cu- we just cucked ourselves. We just cucked. And yeah, um, we just cucked. The last e- I watched the last detail, I was like, oh okay, it's like a Jack performance. And then watching it the second time, Cuckoo's Nest came- became sort of f- that performance became flatter for me. Yeah, right. That's that's kind of how I felt too. Less dimension yeah. there. Yeah. There's less nuance, and I think again, less hungry. He at this point he's riding high on who Jack is. Uh but it's also I think there's Something inherently a little more interesting to watch somebody who has some authority rail against authority versus somebody who has no authority rail against authority. The watching middle management deal with the fact that they hate what they are, which I think Badusky does, is is more interesting. Do you know what? Would you say that's more interesting than his portrayal of a court-appointed doctor, Dr. Rydell from Anger Management, who has all the authority uh, in deciding whether or not um, Adam Sandler is able to... Well, I'm going to say get his kids back. <laughs> Watching two of our angriest actors act off against each other, <laughs> nothing's more nuanced than that. Holy shit. Is Adam Sandler the Jack Nicholson of our generation? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. But his it's Jack is... <laughs> <laughs> this feels basically like a slammy D to me. I would Ryan, say fuck you to the bucket list for being 16th. You... You couldn't get past anger management in this this seating. (laughs) Yes, Greg, I will vote for Randall McMurphy. Yeah, looking at these brackets, sometimes I'm like, you know, 16 is a bigger number than I give it credit for. Like that's that's a that's even for a Jack Nicholson, that's a lot of roles. So then you're getting down to you get you're getting down to the the Adam Sanduzels of the world. Number seven scene seed is Frank Costello from The Departed. Number 10 seed, George Hansen from Easy Rider. Ooh, wow. So We're getting emails no matter how this goes. The Departed is important because he had had Bucket's List and Anger's Management yes. under his belt, and it felt like he went like, no, you guys know I can still act when I want to, though, right? Yes. Like, so, yeah, we I think that we were essentially done, right, at this yeah. point? Um, we thought that we had completely sold our stock. But... I, I don't love this movie as much as everybody else does either. I think this kind of is kind of a clunky movie, and I don't think he's not coasting in this movie. I do think he's just he's in a Martin Scor- he's shot in a Scorsese style, but he's still going like I'm Jack. I'm in the department. He's kind of playing a guy who's coasting, right? Yeah, yeah. like Whitey Boulder's Costello. just like <laughs> the whole movie is like how is this guy even staying in power? It seems like 
everything is kind of falling apart around him. And then the problem is the end of the movie, I think, becomes ridiculous. The last 15 minutes of the movie is just every principal character being shot in the head one after the other. And after a while, you're just like, it loses its impact when somebody walks through a door and gets shot in the head. And you're like, that's the eighth dude in a (laughs) row that I've seen get domed. They're not even playing mm, what you say over every time <laughs> somebody gets shot. Yeah, also, Frank it? Costello has the most offensive line in cinema history. He says, um, he's looking at a, a screen with a porno on it, and he says, maybe it's because I've always been able to have all the sex I want, but I've never found pornography interesting. <laughs> yeah, dude. If you have all the sex you want, the porn's not for you. It's, just, it's for other people. People who don't have all the sex they want, bud. I thought the most offensive line in movie history was when Frank Costello looks at Mark Wahlberg and says, do you know what happens when a toad gets struck by lightning? <laughs> um, George Hanson, how much when, how much stock do you guys put into like uh, career importance when voting? Because Easy Rider is kind of the thing that launched everything, right? He takes, yeah. this, takes this job in this friend's movie, you know, made like, I'm going to say like eight grand and... Uh, plays more of like a suit and collar type guy, like, yeah, let's hit the road. But like his jackness sort of fills the screen. He steals all the scenes and then explodes. He just becomes a megastar after this. And so like, it's not the most memorable, but like, it's so important to the career that I think it could beat a lot of other movies. I, I think it could beat a lot, but I guess it's just the... So the beginning or the end, the right. reminder that he still got it. To, and I, I just taking the the pulse of everybody's mom's aunts and little brothers, which one stands out more in a career? I do like personally for me, and this is probably because I'm as basic as mom's aunts and little brothers. But when I when I hear his name, this is one of the first roles I think of is Frank Costello from The Departed. Like same, it, yeah, it's kind of like a reflexive. And I agree with you, Ryan, that the movie is kind of clunky and that it, like, uh, as I said, it gets a little absurd at parts. But still, him as Frank Costello, this is one of the indelible roles in his career. And that, I I agree, Ryan, that when it's a big role and it helps launch more than just his career, more than just that movie, but, like, a, 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 like a whole genre a of revolution. A new Hollywood. Yeah, a whole new Hollywood. Even with all of that. Well, I feel there's a, a a lot of gravity to Frank Costello. Let's go to the vote. I fear there's we have our uh, first non-sweep. Ryan, where where are you going? George Hanson, Easy Rider. Mike. Yeah, I've, Easy Rider. Easy Rider. I think has just been too memory hold. My vote is for Frank Costello. Which means I have to go to my vaunted tiebreaker, which I hate to use, and. Causes me to take Elka Seltzer, but I'm gonna go with Frank Costello because uh, personally, I just that is just what I think of. It's as iconic to me as as any of his roles, really. Up next, Jake Giddis from Chinatown is our number three seed. Our number fourteen seed, Bill Rorick from Broadcast News. So, when you when we look at a career, it's funny to figure out the point where you are playing on yourself, right? Mm. Like Mm -hmm. when are you getting checks on checks? And we were talking about the Joker in the first segment of this. 
um, where like you're cast because of because you're Jack, not because of your acting skill, because you're Jack. Uh, Bill Rorick, he comes in and he's like he's maybe got like three scenes in this movie. I don't know if you guys have seen broadcast news, but uh, he's like the um, sort of super network, highly paid reporter, kind of an asshole, like egotistical. But it's he, they wanted Jack, you know, they wanted that Jackness yeah. for the movie. Um, it's incredible. But the other one is. Chinatown. Yeah, dude, it's Chinatown. From it's the Chinatown, movie, Greg. Chinatown, and again, this is probably even more than Frank Costello. Like one of the first things I think about Chinatown was a big movie in my house growing up as a kid, and I did not understand it. And I'm I'm not sure I understand it now. It's I believe water. it's about water rights in Southern <laughs> California, but. Beyond that, it's a twisty and it's got that that noir feeling to it. It's this is a, a a huge iconic role for me. Well, let's go to the vote, Mike. What do you say? It's Chinatown, Greg. It's Chinatown, Mike. Ryan, uh, forget it. Broadcast news. It's Chinatown. But I will say, um, if we ever do eighty eight, no, whatever year broadcast news came out, eighty seven, idiot. Sorry, Mike. It's a strong dark horse, like. It's James L. Brooks. It's like right up all three of our alleys. So. Yeah, that's one of the movies that every time it comes up, I'm like, okay, I still haven't seen that. I really, I feel like I've been meaning to see this movie for 20 years. Yeah. <laughs> it's just so hard to see a movie, right? No, you got to take two hours. Oof. <laughs> Who's got that kind of time? I have to look at my phone. Up next is number six, Melville Udall, as good as it gets, versus Billy Baduski, the badass himself from. The last detail. Now, here's one where I'm going to say, fuck iconic. I'm going to vote with my heart. Yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to, I personally am going to absolutely go back on everything I said for this one in particular because I didn't even know who this guy was until yesterday at this time. But we knew the poster. But we knew the poster. And, but like, we are just about to talk about this next segment. So let's, let's keep some of our powder dry here. But, uh, let's especially talk about Melvin Udall, who let's do that, dude. Let's talk about the let's talk about the Ood. I had mentioned he won Best Actor for this after you know not kind of a little dry spell in the career. Um, and I had talked in the last segment about how this movie's become cringier over time, and it's this guy who is supposed to be an asshole, you know, when he is very misogynistic, homophobic, but like those were all punchlines in 1995. Like those were supposed to be theater laugh out loud in the theater jokes. Like he's, it's hilarious how misogynistic and homophobic. Yeah, because I yeah. remember one of the lines was a woman comes up to him and says, I love your work. And he says, thank you. She says, how do you write women so well? He says, I just imagine a man and I remove all sense and reason. Right. And that's it's like that that joke is on him. But also, that's not the only thing that's supposed to make people laugh about that. Right. right like they're right. not just making. It's like, funny because it's true. <laughs> this is the Helen Hunt movie that you were thinking of earlier, Mike. Um, right. And I always am. <laughs> uh I just I don't think this is aged as well, and fuck it, we all—it's our show. We do what we want. And what what's with Helen Hunt at this point in her career? Because very soon after this, she's in What Women Want, so she just has to go toe to toe with misogynists. Who the whole goal is like maybe there is a harder goal under these pieces of shit. <laughs> she goes up against that fucking piece of shit Tom Hanks and Castaway. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm gonna leave my wife for years. I think she was is, was an under and is now still an underappreciated. Yeah, actress and creative force, and I think that she ended up taking what roles like she could get, and that's it's a shame because she's such a presence on the screen and so funny and a creative 
force as well. Unfortunately, that's as good as it gets. But that's as good as it gets, everybody. And that's as good as it's going to get for that one because we are moving Billy Baduski on to the next round. Round two. Jack Torrance from The Shining. The Shining, Greg. Do you want to get The Shining versus Robert Dupia from Five Easy Pieces. It's JT Orange for me. Yeah, what do you say, Ryan? Yeah, it's got to be. Got to be. Got to be the number one seed, Jack Torrance. Number four seed, the Joker versus number five seed, Colonel Jessup. And Here we go, gentlemen. Here dude, we go. we're getting into it now. Let's we are getting. Put up your fucking dukes, boys. Let's go fighting. When you think Jack Nicholson, how many roles do you think before you get to the Joker? Zero. A lot. For me, it's a lot. Yeah. It's and how many, when you get to the Joker, how many Jokers do you think of before you get to Jack Nicholson? <laughs> well, Heath Ledger, obviously. Mark obviously. Hamill. Mark Hamill is a biggie. <laughs> this is such a good question. Greg. This Ryan's is favorite, was... Jared Leto. Um, I'd... Damaged. Dude, I think this might be Colonel Jessup. He's in five scenes, maybe, in this movie. Yeah. Just fucking crushes them all. Yeah, there's so uh, much going on in this movie that nobody will ever remember just because he's in it and because he owns the parts that he's in so fully. It's, are you a uh, ever dance with the devil in the pale moonlight kind of cat? Or are you a uh, you can't handle the truth kind of dog? That is the, I mean, that's life's ultimate question. That is what Ayn Rind's point of writing the Fountainhead was. <laughs> <laughs> when everybody's super, no one is. <laughs> well, let's go to a vote, Mike. What do you think? It's It's got to be the Joker for me. Ryan. You know what? Like... This is not Jack's fault, but I think it's a fine Joker performance. But I think you're right. Like we have had three great Jokers since then. It's we've had zero great Colonel Jessup's since then. <laughs> when will somebody once again tackle the role of Colonel no, Jessup, the Joker? When you take that role on, it changes your <laughs> brain chemistry. Man. <laughs> You'll never eat a poopies again. <laughs> Where's Where's Snyder's snork- Sorkin verse or Snorkel verse where the snorkel <laughs> the is there? Snorkel verse. <laughs> I'm so going Colonel Jessup. Jessup. Moving on, Joker. We're sorry, but it's it's rough at this point. Number two seed Randall McMurphy from One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest versus number ten seed George Hansen from. No, I'm sorry, that's wrong. It's Frank Costello. That's wrong, Ryan. We said Frank Costello. Moving on. Oh, Ryan made a mistake. Let's just fucking crucify him. Probably no. somebody should get points for that. Is that what happened to Jesus? He made a mistake. Yeah. <laughs> he left the oh, windows unlocked one night. Uh, yeah, he was friends with Judas. That's his fucking mistake. <laughs> uh, so, Randall McMurphy or Frank Costello? Ryan, is this a tough one for you even? No. I I voted Frank Costello out last time. I will vote him out again. This is very easy for me. Mike? Yeah, I, I think... Even as uh, iconic Costello is for certain people in this room, uh, McMurphy is one of the most iconic roles. Even though it's been decades since this movie came out, people will still know McMurphy more. Yeah, I totally agree. Well, I, you know what? I don't even have to, though. This is a matter of my opinion. Hey, Greg, I don't give a fuck yeah. if you agree or not. <laughs> you can still state your opinion, bud. On IMDb, <laughs> uh, on IMDb, for his character name, there's like six nicknames it's like randall tex texas mac mm. mickety mac mcmurphy and randall mcmurphy just seems like one of those guys who yeah. collects nicknames and keeps them all everybody from now on should call me t-bone 
All right, T-Bone. Number three, Jake from Chinatown versus number 11, Billy from The Last Detail. Again, tough stuff. Toughstuff.com. I think this is the time, though, where we have to admit that uh, our hearts and minds yeah. and farts and rinds got Billy this far. But Yes. Yeah, a lot of this is what is it. There is something helpful about the bracket because you can like you can be unsure in one matchup, and then in the next one you just it just like it's clear as day. Yeah, so he squeaked through before, but I feel like it's very obvious that it's Jake from Chinatown, Jack from The Shining, or Jessup from A Few Good Men. Mike, Jack, Ryan, Jessup. Yeah, Jessup for me too, dog. You guys are crazy. Here's Jessup. So he's in the finals versus Randall McMurphy or Jake from Chinatown. Chinatown Jake. I guess Ryan. Jake Giddies does a lot of watching Chinatown happen and doesn't have a lot of iconic lines. So I'm actually going to go with McMurphy in this one. Yeah, I'm going to go McMurphy too. Because I just. We're, that's... we're seeing our age differences now. <laughs> and our finals. <laughs> Jessup v. McMurphy. Now, in a straight fight, you'd have to take the 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 warrior Jessup, but this is a no, popularity contest. The old man? No way. No oh, man, I bet that guy could do McMurphy thirty pull-ups would, a day. McMurphy would light him on fire in his sleep. No, I think McMurphy's soft. I mean, first of all, he's got like some well, sort of brain damage from that. He'd get a friend to light him the, on fire in his sleep. The night, <laughs> the night before the fight. Colonel Jessup would order his soldiers to fill a sock with soap and beat the shit out of Randall McMurphy. Are you ordering a code red? Yes, I am. One Are tall you glass ordering of a code bomb red, blast? please. <laughs> it is cruel and unusual to make a soldier drink code red. I don't care. So, who's it? Who's it going to be, Jessup or McMurphy? Uh, Mike? I don't give a shit about either of these characters. I guess what? it's McMurphy for me. McMurphy for Mike, Ryan. It's McMurphy for me. And Randall, that feels like a very solid answer. I know Mike got a little poo-poo pants there at the end, but I felt like that was a a very solid answer. I know I'm going to eat after this Did Mike order a dinner at Poopies? (laughs) (laughs) Congratulations to Randall McMurphy, Mac, Tex, Texy, T-Bone, Poopies. (laughs) When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about Jack Nicholson. We've just been talking about all his performances, so I, I guess we might already know the answer to this question, but is this the best Jack Nicholson performance or the most Jack Nicholson performance? Why does he have to be badass and not say... Why does he have to be badass and not say Ryan O'Neill? Because then he would have been a dumbass. <laughs> I... I, mm. I, Most, I think, is important. It's... Earlier you said, like, the first time you watch this movie, you're like, yep, Jack's doing Jack. And I do think you're so used to it that you're not noticing the texture. Yeah. He Uh, just does the voice and the eyebrows, and you're like, oh, yeah, I know what he's doing in this performance. That is just his voice and eyebrows, people. He can't help it. (laughs) I'm sorry, Mike. Which voice? This voice. I'm Jack (laughs) Nicholson. Do you think other podcasts are going to be jealous of the fact that we have three perfect (laughs) Nicholsons and that most podcasts don't even have one? It's like you couldn't tell. This podcast could be Christian Slater and two Christian Slaters. I'm going to be honest. That was my Kevin Bacon. (laughs) But 
when so i think what you were saying mike was that his performance at first seems like standard but then you start seeing depth what is some of that depth what is some of the depth we see from both nicholson and um and badass i I think it's because he hadn't one i think the actor had not calcified what his jackness is yet this is Mm. so early on his career this is a couple years before mcmurphy uh so like the here's what i'll just do i don't think he's touched his buttons and he maybe he's still trying but there is there's a level of like empathy and depth underneath when he's saying when he's like sometimes when he's being mean to meadows you can see kindness in his eyes even though he's being a prick and Mm. vice versa like i you could just see the what we always say here do two things at once and badusky constantly is holding three or four emotions in a given line yeah i mean it's like it's the lying thing. Lying is a, is a harsh word, but it's the facade thing, right? Like, I know who I am, and I know who I want them to think that I am, and I know who I'm worried about them thinking that I am, mm. right? So I need them to think that I am a man and a party animal and cool. And, I and know- like, in charge. Like, he, he very much, even though it's, like, a company of three dudes, he's one of three people in it. He clearly seems to, like, love the fact that he's notionally in charge of it. Right. And that's why he does those things like move the goalposts because that yeah. automatically puts him in charge. You know, like he, he makes these bets and he gambles away all their money because he's now in charge. They have to do what he says. But that's why the party scene that we keep talking about is so integral because we see him talking to somebody that he's not comfortable with, namely the scariest of all villains in the male bonding movie, a woman. Who and does not give is, a shit about him. Who does An not, attractive, bored-looking lady. <laughs> who does not buy into the whole uh, Bill Badass Badusky lore. And he is a fucking moron. Like, he is... He, like, I, it, it's really hard to watch him be so bad at everything. I don't. If, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be surprised if he was an actual virgin listening to him talk to this woman. Uh, <laughs> um... If they remade this movie in modern times, the woman he's talking to at this party would be actively scrolling on her phone (laughs) the entire time he's talking to her. But because nobody had any way to escape that, she's just like kind of stuck. Like everybody at the party, and this happens at a party, right? Everyone has grouped up, and she is just stuck with this guy. And worst of all is that he thinks he is just like absolutely killing it. Crushing it. And it's not just that he says he's killing it. He's like... I'm giving her such a line of horse shit. I know. <laughs> you should hear what how fucking wet she's getting. You know, like you should hear like how much she is in love with me. And like so the reason the entire reason that you're doing this then is not to uh hook up with this girl or make a connection. It's for the conversation in the kitchen later when you're <laughs> with back the dudes, with your friends. With the boys. When you're back to feeling comfortable. That's your entire reason for talking to other people. Bring it back to the boys. And uh, one thing I noticed, especially watching it the the second time, was I noticed how he's not just like the older brother or or the dad to Meadows. He's clearly trying to save some part of Meadows that he feels like he lost mm. himself, right? Like he wants to teach Meadows how to do semaphore. And he's like, wow, you would have been a really good signalman. And then they have like this secret way that they can communicate to each other. And so I think part of what he's like gnawing on is that he like the Navy for him has been like a prison. He has he's tried to escape a life with this 
woman that he was married to briefly, but she wanted him to become a TV repairman, and he felt like that would be a, a like a trapped life. Oh, and he, so then he's in the Navy where he has to do whatever they tell him that. to. Yeah, and like they both he and Mule refer to themselves as lifers, mm-hmm, right. and so it's like he's going to jail for eight years, but we are sentenced to the rest of our lives in this you know this man's navy which really, and i feel like you can see that like he feels like some part of himself has been imprisoned in the way that meadows is going to be that's something i don't i've never understood so you sign up for like your instead of going to college for four years you go to the military for four years right yeah yeah and then at the end of the four years you could be like okay you're free or this is your job now forever no it, it you'll there's periods of contract and so they probably aren't lifers they're probably two years till their next contract but they both know they're gonna sign up again they're just gonna sign again yeah <laughs> because they will both say no i'm not going to i'm i'm at it i'm leaving the navy i'm sick of this and then when it comes time to sign up again they can't take the freedom none of us can right like we we want to be free we want to be on liberty but we want that liberty to be prescribed within an entity that gives our you know within a framework that gives ourselves um, some sort of meaning to our lives. And so we can't be free. We don't know how to be free. We, it terrifies us. I mean, the shit much. that we take for granted every day is like a super awesome surprise to them. You know, like they get to treat it as like a really cool vacation. Yes. And that's what this prison that they've signed up for. So like, do they have homes? Do they have, can they have families? I mean, Mule does, right? He's got like, uh, he's still sending money to his mom, but it sounds like he's got another, you know, house and life set up as well. Um. So what is what? Let, let's get let's nail down a little bit more of what the the extra dynamics are because I I for Nicholson's character here because I feel like we we see that we still see that cool ease and then we also see that he is a bit of a loser himself in the in the darts scene. Did you think for sure that he was being hustled and was going to end up losing all their money? I think there there's a moment there where like he is at stake kind of it, 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 in both in the movie and for how the audience feels about him. But the, yes, I, I thought he was losing all the money. Uh, but I think the way he lives his life is he can spin it either way. If he wins, he was always going to win and he was in control. Yes. And if he lost, well, like actually the guy's daughter's sick and <laughs> I had to let him think he was hustling me because they needed a little more than we do. Don't they boys? Plus, you know but what, he, he, what he is is a right. memory creator. Yes, right. And so, like, uh, he's, so important on the boys' trip. <laughs> right. He's an Instagram before Instagram, and <laughs> I think that, like, uh, uh, sort of to what Mike is saying is that no matter what, we could always rely on that every event had that scene with the three of them walking down the sidewalk, reminiscing about what happened three minutes ago, mm-hmm. and, yes. and Jack telling you exactly how we're going to feel about what just happened. And, and laughing hysterically, although like nothing that funny to anyone outside the incident has actually right. happened. So we're going to set our laughter bar about right here about <laughs> what I just did. because And if he had lost in the bar, it would have been like, that. we're, we're fucked. But, yeah. <laughs> but wasn't that a memory that we will always have forever? That's his, You know that's for his sure. Job. He's like, it, we can lose all of our money. We have a, a great thief on our team. Yeah. We'll just have this guy steal some more. He's already going to jail for it. Jack's going to put carrots. So, so many carrots in his sleeve. How about um, Randy Quaid and Otis Young? How do they do against this performance? Because I feel like there's a chance that this is a, such a good performance by Nicholson that it sort of eclipses them. But are they holding their own? 
Yeah, I, th- I think this is why it's worth rewatching, even though it's like, isn't this a silly comedy? Uh, like on the first level, uh, you the the onion will peel back, and I, I think what what Otis and what well, one I've never seen him in movies before, and I thought or he did again great. or is this it? Like he just bailed. He's just solid. Like he does exactly what it is. There's and a again, story there. See that <laughs> just like so much that happens in the movie, mm-hmm. you hear that and you're like. That's racism, right? right? Racism happened here. Like he probably wasn't offered other meaty roles, but the, but there, I I think there is a different shade to Mule's anger, and that makes it very interesting to watch him. No, yes. he has to be quiet. He can't blow up, and that all of those are choices Otis is making. And then fucking Randy Quaid, man, I did not know he had this in him. I just know him shrieking into the alien's butthole in Independence Day. Because, like, in his older age, right, when we grew up in the comedies, the very broad comedies. Shitter's full. (laughs) Very different comedies than this movie. uh, We would watch him. uh, We would watch other characters look out the window on a character that Randy Quaid was playing and say things like, (laughs) shitter's full. (laughs) Other things. Um so to see him in a movie like this, where he is playing somebody very grounded and still almost cartoony in a grounded movie, right? Like, right. But still so heartbreaking. Like, yes. But he he killed me like four or five different times in this movie. When they saw the carrots in his sleeve that he stole, uh-huh. just because he has an issue, right? He doesn't want the carrots. He just yeah. He obviously has like some compulsion to steal. And he he thought he was going to go to double jail if he doesn't (laughs) run away right now. Super sloppy double jail. (laughs) So he runs away. Like this guy, I I couldn't. This guy could have been an an amazing actor. He asks to see the the sex worker. He's like, I don't have enough money to have sex with you again. Can I just look at you naked? That is milk money level. (laughs) (laughs) That is like he's so often in this movie. He is thirteen years old. But then all of a sudden he's talking to the sex worker about QAnon and the sex worker screams <laughs> run Lillian. <laughs> Speed round. This is the second of our Hal Ashby films. Um, and so we are uniquely qualified to weigh in on him. Should he have a, a bigger name in Hollywood? And what is he doing in this movie that's so effective? I think it's like what it stands out from him from a lot of the other new Hollywood guys is that he doesn't at no point are you watching the camera and be like, that's Hal Ashby, baby. Yeah. Doesn't he, he stay really, out of your fucking face? He really seems to care about human beings and telling yes. their stories. Yes. Uh, even though like so many of these guys in the real life, he's a dick who does not care about human beings at all. <laughs> I think that his other movie that we watched, which is Shampoo, was more judgmental. I think that it took mm-hmm. more shots at, say, oh, what's his name? Himbos and himbo culture. No, no, no. I think that Warren Beatty came out all right in that movie. It's the older, the cheating husband character. Oh, yeah. By what was his name? The guy from Problem Child. <laughs> other <laughs> movie I can remember him from. Um, but I think that what... It, it, we always think of directors as like holding the camera, which they literally never do, unless you're Steven Soderbergh holding an iPhone. You directors <laughs> never hold it, hold the camera. Not I, even for a second, just to take the weight off somebody else's shoulders. No, it's they, a union job. They'll yell at you. Actually, yes, it's <laughs> the last thing they would do is want to do somebody else's job. <laughs> uh, the DGA, all three guilds went on strike at basically the same time. The DGA signed 
almost immediately just to not have to lift a pen any longer than they had to. <laughs> we don't want to go on little marches. That sounds awful. Um, but it's also the it's it's tone control. That's what the director's mm. job is, is yeah. tone control. And that's what Ashby does. This movie is the king of tone control. I have never seen a movie that is so heartbreaking and laugh out loud hilarious in this exact way. No other movie will be because it's strictly the last detail. No other Hal Ashby movie will be this. Because but- he reminds me more of uh, Linklater in that like mm-hmm. only this movie will ever be this movie, you know? It does. Yeah, I think Linklater makes a lot of sense. It's, it's he's a dramedy master. Is how how do you inject like this is a very funny movie, but it's never gonna be shitters full or hangover baby wear sunglasses. Like it's it's not gonna be broad. It's gonna be real human groundness. Even when it gets big, it feels real. Even and with- that like there's something broad and sweeping and epic to just the human soul, and that mm-hmm. comes out in small interpersonal like moments like this and i feel like it's like it's so brave how often this movie chooses less and how much it often then gets a lot more out of that every time this movie is small it finds something big in the human spirit and i like it's sort of exciting in that way he's able to just disappear into the fabric of the movie and it feels like he doesn't impose himself upon every aspect of it you're saying this movie would have been worse if like kang was there in the end the third act I think that probably would have made it worse, yes. I don't know. That sounds <laughs> That would have been cool. crazy. <laughs> uh, the last detail was infamous for the amount of cursing, as we mentioned earlier. But in 2023, if you didn't know that, would you have had any idea that this movie features a lot of cursing? No. Would not no. have noticed at all. I think there's also... I think the word motherfucker may not have been said as often back then. And so I think that... For some of America, they were being introduced to. <laughs> oh, and I bet like it was one of those things where like people were passing out in theater aisles. Yeah, <laughs> and there was like footage of ambulances coming. <laughs> He's gonna say it. He's gonna say the swear. Randy Quaid is so sweet and innocent here. Uh, should we have sent him directly to jail anyway, and then left him in there the for the intervening years? Probably. D- did we decide on this tonight's episode between the last detail and the '90s comedies, and then the QAnon? All of that, that his autobiography is just called Shitters Full. <laughs> Shitters <laughs> Full. <laughs> is there an early 70s cliche that our three heroes didn't run into? Cowboy Bar. I didn't know. Okay, th- that's a good one, dude. I didn't notice this the first time I watched it, but the second time it was like, this is just a string of everything I know about the 70s. <laughs> yeah, that is a way in which it kind of does feel like it was made after the 70s. Uh-huh. It's like, now we're. Now we're going to go to a, a like a porno magazine stand. Can you believe that exists in the city? Here's an improv class. Here's a, <laughs> here's a yoga teacher. Yeah, here's a like an eastern-ish religion. Was that a was that a real religion or was that like supposed to be like the um the Krishnas, but it, not quite. It felt Krishna-esque. It felt Sufi-esque. It was definitely a lot of things slammed together. It felt like Ashby being like, you know how they're into this stuff it's chanting and stuff like that but i don't it, again it did not feel like forrest gump of like uh stream, string them all together and we'll figure it out if it, it still felt very real you mm-hmm. know and i like i i loved watching these guys in the counterculture and it wasn't played for broad laughs it was right. all so subtle no the, the the how uncomfortable they looked dealing, yeah. they wanted to be there but now they are uncomfortable man that that party scene is the piece de la resistance 
Yeah, kind of the kind of the heart of the whole movie, right? I love the uh, where one of, one of the women brings up to me your race, and the way he turns around, like, ah, oh, I don't want to have to do this. <laughs> Come on. And he's like, no, but I will. Okay, here we go. <laughs> Let Plus, me try to explain this. Uh, the three of us are slightly left leaning folk, and I bet Hal Ashby is, and typically military people aren't. And they get to the party, and there's a guy ranting in the corner, and you're like, oh. Fuck, is that what I sound like? Yeah. Just tell me what you think about Nixon. Name one good thing Nixon has done. It's like, bud, wait till you see the future. Actually, we got (laughs) to look back at Nixon. There was a couple things. He once did say, I'm not a crook, which (laughs) that would feel novel. (laughs) He gave us all a very easy impression to do. (laughs) Yeah, dude. Hi, I'm Richard Nixon. (laughs) (laughs) When we come back, let's give this movie some awards and recommendations. This movie was nominated for three Academy Awards, did not win any. Well, guess what? You're walking home with a whole slew of Moody's tonight. And also, we're going to throw in some recommendations, because that's how we do it here at Pop Filter. We've been talking about him for two segments in a row. Let's just go right for it. What is the pound-for-pound performance, and will you dare to say it's someone other than Jack Nicholson, Mike. I will dare, and maybe it's the blown awayness and the uh, stock character I had in my head of Shitter's Full, but I my socks were fully knocked off by young Randall Quaid. And he has decided to go by Shitter's Full, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Randall Shitter's Full Quaid. Well, okay, so Mike has once again um, said, I fully support Randy Q-Quaid. Quaid. Yeah, Ryan... Do you do you throw your full support behind the works of Randall Quaid? Uh, I actually think that Randy Quaid is the obvious pick here, so I'm going to go with uh, young upstart Jack Nicholson as the <laughs> pound for pound performance of this film. <laughs> you son of a bitch! Yeah, I it, I I'm not I'm not a creative man. I'm not an intelligent man. I'm not a good man. Um, but you do but know what love is. I do know what love is, and I loved Jack Nicholson's performance in this. So I think the pound for pound goes for him. Hal Ashby is our director here. Uh, we didn't spend a ton of time talking about him, but what is his signature move in this movie, Ryan? Um, I am going to have to go with... Uh, Hal Ashby started off as an editor and became such a superstar editor that they had no choice but to like give him movies to make. Which, he dream, which I have to imagine is the editor's dream, but it's not something that happens a ton of times. No. like and like, How do you become a superstar at a job where you're supposed to not be noticed right like yeah th- how do you move up in that world if uh, you are noticed it's probably because you messed up right uh, i'm going to go with a drinking scene that is quite possibly uh no offense to lock stock and two smoking barrels the greatest drinking scene of all time it lasts about 40 minutes longer than you think it should <laughs> But it is, it is one of those nights out, for sure. It is the most realistic drinking scene I've ever seen in film history. Um, th- it's not... It's, like, nothing crazy happens. You know, like, they don't yeah. they don't get into fisticuffs. They don't wake up next to a tiger. Right, exactly. Uh, but th- the way... They go into it, a shitty hotel room. There's a scene with... Or there's, like, one clip of... I want to say Jack on the bed and uh, Otis on the floor... And Jack tells a story about how the whole story is how he was standing on a car and his friend was on the ground 
and he peed on his friend's head yes. just because he wanted to. <laughs> <laughs> and Otis is like, you better not pee on my head. <laughs> and I, it, it doesn't. And they laugh so hard at all of that. They're like laughing so hard they can barely get the lines out. It doesn't seem scripted. It seems so drunken. We have been friends for 40 years, even though we just <laughs> met. Um, yeah. But the, like the way that time goes by, the way that this scene is edited, the, like the amount of time that actually goes by is way too long, and yet it feels like no time at all. That's Hal Ashby to me. The, 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 the sensitive amount of male bonding like we've been talking about. They all, uh, for the image, they all like our dad stripped down to their underwear. Mule even takes like a, a shower. They're like, they're sort of like just naked with each other. And, and yeah, and it's like the only entertainment is this crappy hotel room and some beers yeah and, and a loud they make it... war movie on the tv yes yeah and then they finally have to stop watching tv because back then tv would just go off uh-huh. they're just like well we're not going to broadcast any more tv now for the rest of the night and you just that have was to like the healthiest thing about the 70s. yes <laughs> and then they would start the next morning with the national anthem mike what is your hal ashby signature uh er- earlier in the evening of the episode ryan said he's like a tonal Master, and I think uh, the scene with Run Lillian, Carol Kane, and Quaid, that, that, uh, all of that from isn't it funny he came in a second to how uncomfortable they both are to how tender it turns to her lying for his sake. Be like, no, yeah, I do like you. All, all of that <laughs> felt so like it's funny at his expense. It's sweet, and you still feel bad for him. And yeah, all of, all of that felt Ashbean. A couple of great answers. I'm going to give the the edge to Ryan there. I, I feel like for a movie that has sailors in it, um, has a, a little bit of uh, racial relations in it, is made in 1973, I felt like cringing was not was not as necessary in this movie as others we've seen, and maybe as uh, not as necessary as you might think hearing the description of it. Was there a time, you guys, where you, you felt like a, a real actual cringe, Mike? It. This isn't the movie's fault. This is the 70s fault and my fault versus expectations. But when they first walked into the church of the chanters and they were just uh-huh. sitting in the back watching, I could, I was cringing because I was like, they're going to something. This is going to be awful and they're going to be making fun of an ethnicity or religion yeah. or something. And I couldn't. And then when it didn't, and I was just like, okay, <laughs> like, yes, yeah, the cringe went away. But that, that, that was it because it was it was a pretty not cringy movie. That's yeah, how- the movie doesn't like go out of its way to take shots really at anybody, and so the, I mean, like cringing those who deserve it or those who don't, like the soldiers, the new people that they meet, like there's not shots taken, and the most unrealistic part about the movie is that Jack and to a lesser extent Mule, like they don't like they're more interested than ready to make fun. The people that yeah. I know yeah. that are like Jack in real life are ready to make fun more than be curious absolutely always what do you think it is ryan when, when did you cringe i again just like mike uh for me it's a very personal um after the gun scene the three of them are doing their post-mortem let's talk about what just happened while we walked down the sidewalk <laughs> and jack's like did you see what i just did let me tell you about what i just did here's what i did this is why it's funny and God, that it just sends shivers down my spine. Like, <laughs> dude, can you just let the moment sit for one second? Yeah, he loved right. There's so many times where right after something happens, they start talking about it. Oh man, remember two minutes ago? 
Which is yeah, that really every that... group of dudes I've ever met in my entire life. Yes. But that's the, the, the fun of the boys' trip is you start reflecting on it right away. While it's happening, you're already like, man, what a great morning. We were so young. <laughs> I'm going to give that one to Mike. So now we get to the last detail specials. What is, Ryan, the most relatable me and the boys moment? Okay, so as I said at the very beginning of the show, I actually have had a lot of moments like in this movie. Nothing military-related, but there have been moments where... You're taking a friend to jail. Taking a friend You've to jail. You've been on a boat. Uh, I have been on a boat. Um, the one that hit me the most was very inebriated with the two of you in one room and just barely being able to stand up and not understanding how sleeping arrangements are going to work. <laughs> yes. Yes. Fuck you, that's mine. And unable <laughs> to like talk about it. Yeah. And just like And everyone's in their underwear for some reason. There was never like a choice that everyone stripped down to like their boxer shorts and undershirts, but we're just all dressed like that suddenly. And this scene is so amazing because one guy, Mule, is like how you have to tell me how is this going to work? And the other guy, Jack, is like who gives a fuck? And that's so frustrating. Like, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm trying to organize here, and I'm super drunk, and you don't care at all. And Meadows pulls the Greg move, which is, well, I'm Take passed the out in the, in the, the nice bed. bed. You know what? Before you said it was the Greg move, I was going to say the weakest person falls asleep <laughs> on the nicest yeah. bed. <laughs> that's me. That'd be me at 9 p.m. So you both have that same moment? Yeah. A great so moment. Funny. Boys being boys, being boys, being boys. And then our last award, the last detail you noticed. Mike, what is the last detail you noticed in this movie? There, it's a it's a pretty loud movie, even though it's intimate, right? Even when there's just the few of them, they're talking a lot. There's not uh-huh. a lot of like... And so they've dropped off Meadows. It's just Mulehall and Badusky. And they're walking. They're like, I guess here's what I'll do. I'll, here's what I'll do. And there's... Anytime they're not saying a sentence, it is dead quiet. Nobody else is around, and it's so yeah. kind of crushingly lonely. Yeah, and the triumvirate no has been broken. How you uh, like? And sometimes Mule was like, oh, "I hate this shitty detail." He even says it here. Like, no, you didn't. This was the time of your life, and you remember this for years. And it, yeah, I don't know. It was just achingly lonely. And I as soon like, as oh, Meadows fuck. was gone, yeah, that their little community was just like there was nothing for just the two of them. Even though it seemed like the two of them were like the closest right. of the three. Once he's gone, so keep that in mind, guys. You think <laughs> you think you can do without me, but you can't. <laughs> you can't just take me to jail. We're still turning in the papers, Greg. You'll, <laughs> you'll be gone by morning, Ryan. What is the last detail you noticed in this movie? The last detail I noticed was that the movie was over and the credits were about to roll. And then my memo came in of the awards for this week. And one of the awards said, what is the last detail you noticed? And I was like, is that seriously the award? (laughs) Could that be it? So that was the, the last detail that I noticed was that the award was this is the last detail that I noticed. I will tell you, uh, the last detail I noticed was with about two minutes left in the movie, I happened to notice that there was about two minutes (laughs) left in the movie. And honestly, two minutes out from the end of this movie, it doesn't feel like it's about to wrap up that quickly. Like, they get done being reamed out by that Marine, and they yell at him and say they want to see his XO. And it feels like there's got to be a little bit more, right? But it basically ends two minutes after that. And that was a bit of a surprise. This, This movie starts and ends. So quickly. I really appreciate it. I yes. applaud the way. Oh, we're in the plot now. Oh, we are done now. But the I'm going to give the point. 
to Ryan because Mike, you famously make some pretty lazy choices on this show, <laughs> but to take the name of the movie itself, but and make that your award category, we cannot, we cannot. Didn't I come that. up with a fucking great detail at the end there? Yeah, and it was actually it was a uh, as as silly as it sounded at first. The more I thought about it, the more of an interesting actually no. Idea I, have, it was. I have a last last detail. It's when after this podcast. When me, Mike, and Greg are walking down the sidewalk celebrating, and Mike's like, didn't I fucking come up with a great detail at the end there? <laughs> Guys, wasn't that great what I did? Wait a minute. You think you're the technical sin in this group? No way. I don't. Apparently, Ryan thinks I am. In this version of the story, Ryan says that you do think that, Mike. I so do now I don't know what to believe. Gentlemen, it's time to get to recommendations. Ryan, let's start with you. What's your recommendation? Greg... I thought that I had recommended this movie recently. I went through all of the the library of Pop Filter, and I couldn't see yes. that I had. But uh, we don't talk about our library enough. I know, and it's so like, why are all the books so dusty? Yeah, I don't know. Can we hide we have, basically we have like a bigger, nicer version of that Criterion closet. Yeah, that looks like where they put the pornos in, like a cheap. Um, VHS rental store. <laughs> but, like, is there... How much is our dust budget? Oh, well, I mean, only the best for us. So, yeah, we have that dust imported from Ecuador. That's a, It's a nice, fine dust. Okay, there's a lot of it in there. Um, well, we've had a lot imported. I, <laughs> I pulled out the book, and I blew it off. And uh, I don't think I've recommended this movie ever. It's got... Um, should be in the Pop Filter Hall of Fame just based on its theme song. Uh, but it's about three soldiers contemplating um, <laughs> how the war sucks, life sucks, this is a prison, this is bullshit. It's kind of about four, four soldiers, but we don't talk about one of them. We just talk about the three of them, even though the fourth one is the guy who's responsible for the theme song. Does anybody know what that theme song is? We Three Kings, Be Stealing Your Gold? That is Spike Jones who's saying that, but it is Ice Cube, Marky Mark, and George Clooney in the one good David O. Russell film. Remember back in the day when he made good movies? It is the movie Three Kings. I highly recommend when it. And he it made a good movie. He <laughs> made, uh, I Heart Hucklebees? Are we, are we done oh, with that true. one? I do like I, do like I Heart Hucklebees. I, I, like heart, enough, I Heart Hucklebees. I like it enough that I always think it's Alexander Payne who did that one. <laughs> you can just make that decision. Just... Sign up for IMDb Pro and change it. <laughs> change it. <laughs> Go here, make it a correction. But I don't hear uh, enough about that movie anymore, and that's yeah. a damn shame because that movie fucking rules. Mike, what do you recommendation? Uh, male bonding. There is structure. There are hierarchies, but when it breaks down, we are the same. And Ryan brought him up earlier tonight. Link later. I could not get dazed and confused out of my head. And there's there's so yeah. many differences. But the way the baseball team brings in the young, soon-to-be freshmen, uh, I could not stop thinking about. Whoa, what a sleeper hit. <laughs> I fucking hate you. I'm sorry I don't have a guessing game make you guys guess the thing. And we both guessed it instantly. So how is that so sleepy, That's a bitch? good guessing game, then. The movie I was thinking of the most while watching this is similar in some ways and different in so many others. It came out, I think, in, in 2020 or 2021. It was um, Never, Sometimes, Something, Always, the movie where the two girls are going on the road trip to New York mm. because the one girl needs to get an abortion. And it's the two of them against the world. There's a lot more silence in it. Um, and 
but you see them sort of like become the world for each other. Never, rarely, sometimes, always. Yes, thank you. Um, and um, and you see them like projected into just how cold and indifferent the world is, and how much we need to rely on each other because when we are just lost in the city, we literally. Like we have nowhere we can go. We have nothing we can do. We just have each other in these moments. And then it also ends with this sort of uneasy feeling that that has been broken, that like at the end of it, we've lost something. And um, there's even a sense of like perhaps implied peril at the end of, of that movie. And, and so there's these moments of togetherness and community that forms, but you almost get the feeling that a lot like in um, The Last Detail, you know, the house always wins. Like you are ultimately, you have to do what the man tells you to do. And ultimately you get consumed and destroyed by the system. And we have to find liberty in the small moments where we can establish that with each other. And they, it just, it won't be lasting. It won't like, it, that's not something we can have, but we can have uh, some time together. Sometime. Never rarely. Never rarely. <laughs> uh it's a oh man! And when you find out what that what the title means, yeah, your heart gets to break for like the eighteenth time in the movie. Uh, in a shot that is the shot of the decade. Uh, it's a movie that will make you find hunt down your best friend and hug the shit out of them. Also great, and also will make you be like, wait a minute, women have to have access to abortion, right? Yeah, it should be like, like the, also, because it, it sets up a scenario where. There's just absolutely no reason why this girl should be as tormented and in as much danger as she is. Anybody would agree that she should have the ability to terminate this pregnancy. And yet she has to jump through all of these hoops that are meant to make it impossible for her to free herself from this situation. Uh, I think that we have invented a new genre called No Planes, Just Trains, where (laughs) you do have to travel with very, very cheap transportation throughout the entire movie. It would have been funny if all the Navy boys had been on a plane, a bus, and a train, because they never go out on the water. They, like, talk <laughs> about the water, but I don't even think you see the ocean in this movie. There are three sailors out to land. Well, there's no there's no ocean on the eastern seaboard. Okay, that's a good point. Yeah, it just goes um, the eastern seaboard and then just Europe. It's no. fishes out of water. <laughs> uh, this was, of course, filmed in the past, back where there was Pangea, so... Uh, <laughs> That is a completely cromulent statement. When we come back, we are going to talk about who won this show. And we're going to talk about whether or not we think the last detail has what it takes to go the distance. Ryan, you have been freed from your long, terrible toiling of not winning. You won tonight's episode 30 to 25. Damn. No no drama there. Bit of a housing. A bit of a housing, yeah. A little, a little bit, a little bit of a, of a housing there. But um, the thing I'm really interested in is I feel like this movie has a real chance. Like, maybe not our number one seed at this point, but has a real chance. Do you think, do either of you think that, like, things could fall in such a way where this movie is our movie of the year? I can see being the dark horse. Yeah. If it just doesn't stop gnawing on a us. A lot like of times the- our second or third favorite movie as like a group, like we'll each have the same second or third favorite movie and mm-hmm. that will end up winning because the other ones kind of cancel each other out. And and then there's always like every season there's a movie that you don't expect that is gnaws on you and we start off air in every episode. You just keep talking about yes. that movie. Yeah. And it's never the big one. It's not the sting. 
And yeah. Sting was this season, guys. That's crazy. <laughs> and this is what this guy does: is he makes movies in such a way where, like, you're like, ha 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 ha. They they cursed and like they had sex with prostitutes, and then it just eats at you, and you keep remembering scenes yeah. and like certain lines of dialogue. And certain looks and certain cuts, and like this is that movie for sure. Shampoo did that as well, but I think this is a much more successful movie. Yeah, I I like in it. a much. Uh, I don't know. I think that this year is uh, easier for Last Detail to win. Yeah, like, this year I seventy five was harsher. You know. Yeah, yeah. I feel like this year, by and large, the movies have kind of actually proven to be. A little bit less exciting than we thought they were were going to be. This would be an exception here. I mean, last detail. This has lived up absolutely to the billing. This has rocketed up my list of favorite movies, um, and I really, I don't know. I, I have a feeling that it could it could do something. I have a feeling it could sneak in and do it. Well, we've got a lot more good movies coming up in our seventy three season, and we're going to keep coming out with episodes every week. So check those out. But until then, do me a favor, will you? Keep watching them movies. <laughs>